Well, welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Again, another Thursday night, and we have a pretty good show for you lined up tonight. We have a special guest this evening. His name is Micah Daigle, and Micah is the executive director for SSDP, which stands for Students for Sensible Drug Policy. So you're going to want to pay attention tonight. Micah's a pretty smart fellow, and he's going to talk about a number of subjects with us tonight. Uh, one of the first things we'll talk about with Micah is his, uh, he participated in a conference call with, the, uh, with Obama's drug czar, uh, the director of the ONDCP, Mr. Gil Curly Pigsley. Now, I know his name is Curly Kowski, but I kind of like Curly Pigsky. But anyway, so Micah will tell us uh, how that went. And uh, we'll talk about some other uh, drug policy uh, subjects tonight, talk about the, uh, the DPA conference going on in New Mexico. We'll talk about Senator Webb and uh, whatever, whatever else Micah wants to talk about tonight. But as I normally do on Thursday night, I give a weather update, and we are inching closer to our million-dollar weather down here. Winter is in the air and we're getting cooler mornings and cooler evenings it's still pretty warm in the in the afternoons we're still in the mid to, to high 80s but we are getting a break at night and it's nice and cool in the morning when melissa and i get up and uh, take our take our daily walk we start our day together that way we walk about 45 minutes around the community we got a two and a half mile track so that's we spend some time together in the morning and, uh, you know, hash things out, so to speak, and, and uh, spend that time together. And I also uh, give a report on our 11-year-old chocolate lab, Bahama. She is a sweet girl, and with no storms, she's not taking any doggy downers, so she's alert and <laughs> crazy as ever. But yesterday, uh, Melissa, my wife, uh, was giving her a bath, uh, which she does about once a week, and uh, noticed that her Bahamas right ear was uh, was all inflated. I guess is the is the proper word. Uh, she has some type of a hematoma, whether it's blood or a blood type uh, substance has uh, has seeped into her right ear, and it, and it feels like a balloon. Doesn't seem to be giving Bahama any discomfort. But uh, it, uh, we're going. We talked to the vet today, and there's a couple of different options. One, you can do nothing, and they generally go away. But once you've had one, they they seem to uh, reappear with with greater frequency. Or we could have it lanced and just drain it. But the vet said uh, that option would would work. But uh, more than likely, he said 99.9 percent .9 chance that the the hematoma will come back. And his solution was surgery. And we're not too sure if we want to put our sweetie pie under uh, anesthesia or not, being that she's 11 years old, but she's in pretty good shape. So my wife went on the internet to check about uh, check on these uh, hematomas in dogs and find out what course of actions are done. And that's where she found that, uh, no surprise here, most vets recommend the, the surgery because it ranges anywhere from you know, $100 low end to $600 top end, depending upon where you live and what the traffic will bear. 
So we're going to do a little bit more research, but rest assured, we will, we will do right by our sweetie pie. We've had Bahama for 11 years now, and she's just a, a wonderful, sweet dog. And there's a good chance you'll hear her barking tonight, because normally she sits here in the studio a little stupefied on her doggy downers and doesn't care who drives by or if anybody else out walking a dog. But when she's, uh, <laughs> when she's not stoned, she's on alert. She's got to pay the rent. So uh, you may hear her tonight. She's not in the studio with me. She's out wandering around. So anyway, thanks again for, uh, for tuning in. Now, since we'll have, uh, we'll have Micah, uh, Micah Daigle live uh, tonight, we're not going to be able to take any, uh, any calls in on the, on the Skype machine or on our regular number. But uh, I think that there'll be uh, some people listening tonight, um, maybe more than, more than usual. Uh, Micah put the call out. So what I'd like to offer all listeners tonight is the opportunity to call me on my personal line here in the studio. And that number is area code 239-478-0005. So if you want to call into the studio, uh, we'll put, uh, put my little live phone on speakerphone, and we'll see if we can uh, get us a three-way going, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and, but, but then again, it might interfere with, uh, with all this crap. I've got wires running everywhere, but... Uh, do give it a try. Uh, again, the number is 239-478-0005. That's my uh, personal phone number here into uh, to the Opium Den. So if you have a question or a comment for Micah or myself, uh, you can send us an email right there on the homepage. You're looking at it unless you got me running in the background. On the homepage, there is an email Daniel button on the right-hand side of the homepage. And you can send us an email. We'll read that comment uh, or question and uh, try to deal with it. Or again, uh, we would like to try this uh, three-way deal. So if you have a comment uh, or a question for myself or Micah, please don't hesitate to call. Again, the area, the phone number is area code 239-478-0005. And as we normally do at the at the close of the show we'll have our uh, our, our well, actually it's our most popular segment i guess it's nothing that's really segmented but uh we seem to have some uh, some followers for our cops on drugs report and that is where we talk about uh, all of our law enforcement personnel who have gone astray and succumbed to the to the siren song of drugs and the money and the thrills and the chills and everything else, and they just turn corrupt and they get caught. So we always profile a couple of our former finest in all of their uh, drug debauchery and illegal activity. So uh, we'll be bringing that uh, up at the end of the hour or towards the end of the hour. But uh, we're really looking forward to to uh, speaking with Micah. I met Micah um, in Washington, D.C. I went up to visit uh, SSDP. And a great bunch of folks, top top to bottom, top-notch individuals. But uh, Micah, at the time, was in charge of uh, national chapters. So he had his uh, finger on the pulse of all the colleges across the country, and he was a very busy 
very busy fellow in setting up uh, an SSDP chapters on college campuses. As no, it's no surprise uh, to uh, listeners of the show that uh, I'm not a big fan of the incremental approach towards uh, drug policy reform, which is exemplified by medical marijuana. And, uh, and uh, SSDP, uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, they had, a, they had a specific mission, and that's why I was attracted to them, because their mission was uh, to uh, eliminate the penalties uh, that individuals who get caught with drugs or convicted with drugs or even arrested with drugs would lose their uh, ability to get uh, college grants. And if they were in school uh, taking with a grant, they would have those grants uh, removed uh, from them if they were caught with drugs. So SSDP all, has always had a, uh, a warm spot in my heart because they were working on a very specific mission and that was to uh, help students. So that's where I met Micah, and uh, we became friends, and I've been an, uh, associated of, in one, on one level or another with SSDP ever since. Uh, Chris Crane was the executive director when Micah was in charge of all the uh, college chapters, and uh, we've had a couple of, uh, we've had Chris Crane on the show a couple of times, and Micah will give you an update on uh, what Chris is doing now. I'll, I'll let him tell you. I won't spoil that surprise. But uh, Chris was kind enough to come inside the opium den, and we have two interviews with Chris in the uh, archives. If you go to the homepage where it says archives, just click on archives, and you'll see all of the, uh, the interviews listed on the right. Uh, we get a tremendous amount of, uh, of activity there on the interviews, so we know that that uh, somebody out there likes to uh, to hear what some of the more important and uh, more intelligent people in drug policy reform have to say. So we've got a couple with uh, Chris Crane. I just finished a, an interview the other morning with Tom Angel, who was uh, also an SSDP fellow, who is now the Media Relations Director for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, or LEAP. So we'll have those posted tomorrow. We had to do a little tweaking on the, uh, on the, on the system today. We're running out of space, and we're increasing our listenership uh, every, every week. So uh, I had to, buy some, uh, had to buy some more space and some more sound cards to uh, get everything up to snuff. So I promise within the next uh, day or two, we will have the, uh, the interview with Tom Angel and we'll have this show tonight, a special edition with Micah Daigle. We'll have that in the archives as well. So as we, uh, as we move along here, I'm going to, uh, it's about a quarter after the hour, I told Micah, that's when I would uh, give him a call. Hopefully he's out, he's had time to finish his dinner. He's out in San Francisco, that's where Micah is now. And uh, talked to him just a little, just a little bit earlier tonight to make sure we were Still going to connect, and uh, he sounded pretty positive, and uh, so that's good. We're going to give him another minute here to finish his dinner, and then we'll uh, we'll give him a call. Now I don't know if the, I don't imagine many of my listeners uh, watch Fox News. I shouldn't uh, make that supposition, I guess, but um, I'm not sure if, if I'm too far off. But uh, yesterday on uh, on Fox, I think it was yesterday. It could have been today. 
but uh, Judge Napolitano uh, is, was, uh, I think, substituting for Glenn Beck, but he was in the, in the Glenn Beck time frame. And Judge Napolitano had on uh, Jack Cole, who, as we all know, uh, is the main man over at Leap. And Judge Napolitano, he's a, he's a constitutionalist. He's uh, not a hardcore, rabid right-winger, but it was, it was almost surreal to hear Judge Napolitano uh, speak about the, uh, the, the futility and the folly of the drug war. So he and Jack Cole had about an eight-minute segment where they, uh, where they gave pretty good testimony and pretty good evidence as to why uh, the drug war is a losing proposition. Of course, we all believe that uh, that it is, but to see it cropping up more and more in the mainstream media, and then especially on Fox, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty encouraging. So um, we're hoping that uh, President Obama is, is taking note of this and uh, moves a little farther off the dime than what he has done so far. But we're going to talk about all that with Micah. So sit back, uh, load the bomb, and uh, we're going to give give Micah a call. Hopefully he's still there. And uh, here we go. We're going to press the old Skype machine button and see what happens. Micah Daigle, Executive Director, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Two ringy-dingies. Hello, this is Micah. Hello, Micah. Daniel Williams, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Welcome to the Opium Den. Thanks for taking the time tonight. Uh, thanks for having me. It's always uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, you're so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I kind of at the at the top of the show, I, I told everybody, I gave them uh, not that you need any introduction to many of our listeners, but I told them uh, of your new position out there in California as the executive director of SSDP and. And how we came to to meet each other, and some of the things that uh, we've done uh, since then. So I, I think everybody's going to be uh, be interested in hearing about what we, what I first want to talk to you about is uh, your conference call with uh, Gil uh, Curly Pigsky. Uh, I mean Curly Kowski, cows pigs. I mean Curly Pigsky. I kind of like Curly Pigsky. But anyway, you were you were on a uh, a conference call with uh, with Gil, so. Uh, let's let's talk. Let's start off with that, and then you can uh, move into what uh, what's going on with SSDP right now. Sure, sure. Well, um, yeah, as you might imagine, uh, this was this was an interesting experience. Um, it, it was not just myself who was on the uh, on the conference call. It was um, leaders of various drug policy reform organizations, um, and I was one of them. And uh, so this is, uh, I believe, the first, really probably since the Carter administration, that um, the White House has directly uh, reached out to members of the drug uh, policy reform community to engage in dialogue. Um, so they said, uh, you know, we're going to have this conference call. We're developing our uh, annual drug strategy, and we want to hear from everybody. Um, and really this, this transpired uh, – largely because of um, a relationship that was built between my former boss, uh, Chris Crane, and uh, Kevin Sibet, um, who is a, a long-time prohibitionist. In fact, he, he founded uh, the prohibitionist organization that's the answer to SSDP 
Uh, it's called uh, Students Taking Action, Not Drugs. Um, and, of course, uh, <laughs> I think how, many, how many chapters do they have? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think they had one chapter um, once. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes, SAND is not uh, nearly as popular as, as SSCP, uh, which, as you know, has um, about 200 chapters across the country, and we're also in uh, many other countries around the world. Um, so... Uh, anyway, that's kind of a tangent. Getting back to the call, um, uh, Kevin said that now works for the Office of National Drug Control Policy. And uh, despite uh, you know disagreeing with Kevin on just about everything, um, Chris was able to build a, you know a relatively cordial relationship with him because uh, Kevin is one of the few prohibitionists, or maybe he's just kind of one of the the, uh, the first of a new breed of prohibitionists. Uh, that actually believes in engaging with us in a dialogue on this issue. And, and as you know, Daniel, I mean, uh, for, uh, for the past few decades, um, it's been so one-sided, and the prohibitionists have gotten all kinds of leeway uh, with the media. So when, um, you know, when they're faced with uh, somebody on the other side of the debate, they could always just kind of laugh us off and say, oh, those, you know, those stupid, smelly, dirty, hippie potheads or something, you know, and, and the media would buy it. And now that's, that's really not the case anymore. So now, you know, we're starting to uh, become more of a part of the, the conversation. And I think that this conference call was really sort of a, an indication of that. Well, why, um, why, do you, why do you think that uh, this fellow, I was going to say young man, I imagine he's, he's younger, but why do, you, why do you suppose that he's willing to engage us? I mean, is it just out of courtesy or is it out of expanding our views for others to look at. I mean, I can't really believe he's a secret agent, although I'd really love to believe that. But why, why do you <laughs> no, think he's I, reaching out? I, I don't think he's a secret agent. In fact, um, I think, if anything, uh, Kevin is, is uh, perhaps the, uh, the, Carl, the Carl Rove of uh, the prohibitionists at this point, in that um, he's really responsible for a lot of their new messaging um, around this issue. And... Um, you, you may have noticed, you know, there, there's been a massive shift. I'm sure all of your listeners have noticed this, uh, that over the past year since uh, January, there was kind of a, a massive shift in the way that uh, the mainstream media looks at this issue. Um, and, uh, and it had to do with a lot of things, but, you know, two of the main factors playing into it were, were you know, one, the economy, and to the escalating violence in Mexico between, you know, the, the drug cartels. And so for so long, um, our opponents, uh, you know, Calvina Fay at the um, uh, Drug Free America Foundation. And, I, hope uh, they, I hope they never fire her because I think she's one of our greatest assets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I can't agree. I can't agree more. Um, yeah, so, you know, Calvina and... Uh, and um, What's his name? The the guy at Damn Mad. Uh, um, I, I can't remember his name. In, in, in any case, you know they, uh, in debating us um, during those few times that they would actually debate us, um, it was always about you know uh, drugs being uh, evil and you know they'll they'll turn your children into zombies and you know and marijuana is a gateway to meth and it, you know and and so the, these outrageous claims. Um, and now what Kevin Sabet has done, um, and we've seen this, is that uh, he's been playing defense rhetorically. 
Um, and he's been uh, counseling, you know, the, the drug czar and other prohibitionists on, okay, let's get rid of these old arguments that, you know, rely on, on these, these reefer madness-like uh, scare tactics. And let's meet, you know, uh, let's meet the drug policy reform movement where they're at because they're winning. And it's clear that we're winning. I mean, you look at the, the public polling on this stuff, and we've gone from, uh, you know, support for marijuana legalization going from about 30% up to close to 50% now just within about a decade. Um, so they see that they're losing ground, and so now they're meeting us where we're at rhetorically um, on the rhetorical battle, battlefield. So now the arguments are more about, um, okay, well, if we legalize marijuana, yes, we may have we may get taxes from it, but there are going to be these social costs and actually, you know, it's going to be more expensive for the taxpayer. Um, so, you know, so they're using kind of, and, and I mean, that's ridiculous, of course. Um, it's absurd. Well, uh, well, let's, I, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but let, let's move on to the actual conference call. I think we've gotten sure. a pretty good setup of this. What's this, Kev, Kevin what? Kevin Sidbeth. I wonder, if um, I, could, I wonder if I could get him inside the opium den. Possibly. I mean, he's now that he's working for uh, the White House, he's... Um, well, he'll never life. make it on my show if he's working for the White <laughs> right. House. <laughs> right. In fact, we had a... Um, uh, my, my former boss, Chris, uh, would tour around the country doing debates uh, with Kevin, and, uh, and Kevin actually came to um, our uh, international conference last year to talk about a you know, alliance then, <laughs> um, you know, 500 uh, drug policy reformers in, in the same room with him. But, you know, he, he, uh, he was a, uh, as formidable of an opponent as they come. Um, well, that's not saying much. I mean, exactly. and that, no, no, no offense to Kevin, but they haven't exactly been putting out rocket scientists to, uh, to debate us. Was, was Kevin a part of the setup for the call? Or, yes. Well, okay. I, I guess that's sort of how I got onto this tangent um, in that uh, the, the call was really um, his idea because um, I, I think that he understands and I think that um, it, to a large extent uh, the other side of, of this issue is starting to understand that they can't ignore us anymore. In fact, if, if they ignore us, it only makes them look more out of touch um, because when you have you know, half the population – saying that we should legalize marijuana, and you have three-quarters of the population saying that what we're doing right now, the war on drugs, is a complete failure, um, refusing to engage those that are actually trying to reform the system, I think, just uh, makes you look completely out of touch. So I, I think that they realize that. Um, and they also, to their credit, do um, realize that there are some uh, you know, small pieces of common ground that we can find. Um, and, you know, I, I know, I know you, Daniel, uh, you're not, uh, you know, a, a fan of the incremental <laughs> approach. <laughs> no, um, I'm not. I, right. And certainly if we could, you know, if we could get rid of the Controlled Substances Act tomorrow, I certainly would. But, um, you know, in the meantime, I think that there, there is some, uh, at least there's some promising middle ground that we can find with uh, the Obama administration, particularly with sentencing reform and uh, life-saving life needle exchange programs and, um, you know, a, a few other issues here and there, which, you know, aren't going to end the drug war, but they, they certainly are going to, you know, help um, 
a lot of people. Uh, well, with the, with the statistics you just mentioned about support for medical marijuana and 76% of adults, which I'm assuming includes Barack Obama, believe the drug war has failed, not failing, but has, has failed. That right. seems to be a pretty good uh, uh, constituency out there to, to move beyond the incremental approach and, and take on the larger issue. But we'll, we'll get into that. I, wanna, I want you to take us right to the, uh, the conference call with uh, uh, Curly Pigsky. <laughs> sure. Well, um, it, was, uh, it was pretty, um, I guess, anticlimactic. It wasn't much of a discussion. Um, the uh, drug czar told us that, uh, or so-called drug czar told us that um, they're devising their drug strategy. They want to hear from, uh, from us and hear our perspectives. So I um, and, and myself and the others on the call uh, went around and we each um, gave about three or four minutes of what we'd like to see. Um, and I guess to paraphrase, uh, what I, what I said was, um, well, look, you know, you've, you've, you've said that, that we're no longer waging a war on drugs and that, you know, that, that we're not waging a war on our own people. And, you know, you've made your position on legalization clear and we disagree with you on that. Um, but what we'd really like to know is your position on, uh, decriminalization because, um, it's an untenable position to say that, you know, we're uh, not at war with people in this country, and yet we're still locking people up simply for possessing drugs. Yeah, about a million um, and a half every year. Exactly, exactly. So, so certainly, I, you know, I don't, I don't see any hope of uh, them coming around on, on legalization, but if they're going to, you know, if, if they are going to, I guess, sort of, make this a kinder, gentler drug war. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, know, sign me up for that fucking deal. <laughs> right. Um, which I, you know, I, I think that there are, there are <laughs> gradients here. Certainly, we want to get rid of the war on drugs altogether. But to begin with, I mean, we, we can at least stop arresting people simply for possessing drugs without harming anybody else. And we've seen uh, other countries do this to great effect. You know, Portugal um, hasn't legalized drugs. You know, it's still illegal to sell drugs, and uh, there are no, you know, uh, uh, state-licensed and regulated um, outlets where you can go and buy marijuana or, or other drugs. But, yeah, but, the, Portugal, but the main reason, in, um, I'm sorry, but the main reason in Portugal and Amsterdam and now Mexico, the main reason they don't take that next step and create a regulated market is because the U.S. will come down on them like a ton of bricks. Precisely. Exactly. So and, and that's why this all starts uh, and ends here. Um, you know, right. and, and the rest of the world knows Exactly it. right. So you had um, your four minutes to tickle uh, Gil's ivory. What did, he, what did he say in response to your common sense and, and well-thought-out position? He, he, he said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, boy. <laughs> And that was it. Next. <laughs> yep. uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't expect much more than that. You know, you had, you had 10, uh, about 10 rabid drug legalizers uh, on the phone with the drugs are, and I don't think that they were looking to, you know, get into a debate, um, but they certainly wanted to know what we had to say. And I, I think that, you know, our hope is that, this will grow into a conversation that, that continues. And I, I don't think, you know, I'll be completely 
clear in saying that, you know, I don't think leadership on drug policy is ever going to come from the White House or Washington, for, the ma- for that matter. It's, it's why uh, I left Washington, <laughs> um, you know, and now I'm living in San Francisco because... With a medical um, marijuana card. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't assume uh, <laughs> too, too much. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think I don't think that the White House is going to lead on this issue. Um, I think that they're waiting to see. And um, if I had to speculate, you know, I think that Obama um, really does get this. You know, I, I, I think that, <laughs> um, I think he gets it. And, you know, do, do you disagree with me on that? Um, well, when you when you say gets it, are you meaning that uh, he, he actually believes what he says, that the drug war has been an utter failure? Yeah. OK, well, yeah. if he gets that, then why has he made really no effort. I mean, the Holder memo, is, as much as it was touted and cheered and way to go, boy, really wasn't that big of a deal. And it really wasn't breaking new ground per se. All it was was telling, you know, California and the other 12 states that we respect the decisions that you and your citizens have made. Granted, it, was, it is a 180 from Bush, but it didn't change any law per se. And the the caveat, the fine print on the Holder memo, was large enough to drive a SWAT truck through where it said that mm-hmm. the government will stay out of it as long as the growers and dispensers and the like play by the rules. And many of these laws were written uh, intentionally vague to, to give some cover to some extra ground. And since they are so vague, I believe that before the end of the year, there will be at least one raid in uh, California or some other state. And, and do you think that that's uh, just being paranoid? Or do you think some knuckle-dragging prosecutor is going to hook up with his ape-like sheriff and say, you know, we're going to shut them fuckers down and figure out some, some ruse that the dispensary is not conforming with state law and petition the DEA to help? And if the DEA passes, they'll still do it anyway? Or am I just paranoid and should, you know, do different yeah. drugs? I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's a good possibility of that. And you know, to be completely honest, I, I think that, um, I mean, I don't think that that every single one of the, you know, more than than a thousand dispensaries in California um, are operating under state law. You know. Um, uh, and that's not to say, I mean, like you said, there are, you know, the, the, a lot of the, um, the local laws have kind of been written um, so that uh, prosecutors can, um, you know, can, can find little loopholes here and there to prosecute. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about um, the fact that uh, because, you know, there are counties like L.A. that have not have chosen to not regulate their dispensaries. Um, there's a really good chance that, you know, some of those dispensaries down there are, you know, being run by uh, Mexican drug cartels and that they're, you know, they're funneling all kinds of uh, other illegal drugs or money through the business and, and using it, you know, as a front for, for illegal activities. And so I, I think that if they're smart and they want to crack down on someone, they're not going to be cracking down on somebody who's following all the rules. Um, I think that there's probably, you know, probably at least a dozen or more easy targets um, that, 
you know, in my opinion, uh, in, you know, in an ideal world, we'd have strict regulations and we'd have enforcement. And if, you know, um, if people weren't following those regulations, then, yeah, they deserve to get Well, that's, that was my next point. If, if, if a dispensary is, is trying to follow the spirit of the law but is not exactly following the letter of the law and they get popped and there's a big deal about it, do you think that the other dispensaries are going to cheer and say, yeah, let's, you know, get those fuckers. We're following the law and they're not, but they just might happen to be, it might just be their turn in the barrel for the prosecutor to say, okay, let's look at all these operations. And if they're not strictly to the letter, then they're in violation and, and we'll go beat them up. Do you think that the, uh, the medical marijuana community will uh, look into that before they cheer, you know, somebody who is ostensibly outside the law getting busted do you think that, there'd be compassion would, uh, or, or what? That would really surprise me. In fact, I've uh, what I've seen um, since I've been living here, um, you know, and I, I've been living here since before Obama was elected and during the era of, of the Bush raids, um, and then after Obama was elected and they were still doing raids uh, prior to the Holder um, announcement, and then Holder made his announcement and there were still a few raids. In fact, I, I was a first responder to one of them. I was right, right around the corner from my office. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've seen these raids happen, and, and the reaction among the medical marijuana community is, is the opposite of what you were suggesting, in, in that it's um, that, uh, that the first reaction is um, DEA go away. You know, it's, it's get out of our state. And... Um, you know, and, and so without looking into seeing if, if you know, this dispensary was uh, following the letter of the law or, or you know, was acting illegitimately, uh, most people rush to uh, the defense of, of the dispensary that was raided because the vast majority are uh, operating responsibly, let's say. I, I'm not going to say legally because, like you said, I mean, there's... Yeah, it's so vague, but I agree with you. They are they are acting responsibly if, in fact, they're not acting strictly to the letter of the law. Right, right. They're, they're, sell, they're selling cannabis to qualified patients, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, and maybe they have one too many plants or something, but it's, it's within the spirit of the law. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm glad you brought this up because it's been interesting for me um, moving out to California, having been, you know, an, an East Coaster all my life and having worked on the, uh, the medical marijuana law in Rhode Island, which is very different than, Californ than California's law. Um, there's, um, uh, first of all, in Rhode Island, there's uh, clear guidelines to what illnesses you need to have in order to qualify as a patient. Um, there are very strict and clear guidelines as to who can become a dispensary. And out here, it's kind of the Wild West. It's, you know, it's the first medical marijuana law. And, uh, you know, as, as you sort of alluded to earlier, there's a lot of uh, healthy or healthy-seeming young people, um, you know, with medical marijuana cards uh, that get it for anxiety or, you know, foot ache or something like that. Um, but and, and so, you know, before I moved out here, I, I kind of looked at California as something we should be ashamed of. Um, and, you know, I always thought, well, you know, if we're going to legalize marijuana, it shouldn't be under the guise of this medical system. Um, you know, we shouldn't there shouldn't be some some kind of Trojan horse. We should just be upfront about legalizing marijuana. Um, 
But the more I've been out here, maybe, maybe the West Coast. <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay. Let me finish. Okay. Uh, you know, may, maybe the West Coast, uh, you know, has seeped seeped into my um, into my skin out here. But but really, I I think that um, the larger issue is is that I think we as a Western society um, think about medicine. Um, entirely in the wrong way, and I think this gets to the very heart of the issue that we're talking about, um, because, you know, our, our current uh, system of medicine is um, set up so that you must be sick and you need to have an illness in order to be prescribed, um, you know, a drug and a doctor can say, okay, you're, you're ill enough to use this, and then once uh, you know, you're not ill anymore, then, you know, hopefully you stop using this. Um, but really, you know, I, I think that that um, the West Coast has uh, sort of a very Eastern influence of medicine and that medicine is about wellness and it's about promoting wellness. So it's not that, you know, it's not this binary system of you're sick or you're not sick. Yeah, pro- sick <coughs> proactive well. versus reactive. Exactly, exactly. And, there, and, and it's the spectrum of, you know, on one end, you are the most healthy that you'll ever be. And on the other end, you're dead. Um, and there's, right. Somewhere in the know, middle. Exactly. And we're all, we're all fluctuating in the middle. So, you know, if I'm, if, if I'm going to use marijuana and it, and it has, uh, as we know, you know, very, um, a very low potential for abuse, um, and it's safer than, you know, just about every over-the-counter medicine that's out there. And if I want to use marijuana um, because, you know, I have a little anxiety at the end of the day after work and I want to use it to get to sleep at night, um, I don't think that I need to have a serious illness in order to use a plant that is, you know, that, that's, like I said, safer than most over-the-counter Oh, I, I, And I agree with you, but it, it, would seem to, <clears throat> it would seem to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but originally, the medical marijuana issue uh, uh, attached itself to, you know, chronically ill and people who are, you know, near death type of situations. It was the wasting of AIDS. It was for uh, multiple sclerosis, um, glaucoma, which is not, a, you know, not going to kill you, but it's going to make you blind. There seemed to be an attachment to more serious type of, of ailments and. Uh, we've we've kind of slid away from there down to hey doc, you know my big toe hurts or I have a hard time getting out of the car if I sit in it for a couple hours and it's a no, no problem. Here's your recommendation. Do you think that we may suffer some backlash as more and more people? I mean, most people look at this issue very peripherally. They think okay, medical marijuana is cool, and and that's about as much as they think about it. If the if the issue becomes more important and more widely looked at. Do you think some of those people are going to say, well, wait a minute, what's it, you know, you got anxiety, so you get to smoke pot? Do you think they might take a look at us and go, you know, maybe these, maybe these guys are using medical marijuana as a, as a Trojan horse to, to move this issue into full legalization? Do you think we, we're at risk for some backlash of getting medical marijuana cards for, you know, let's face it, for some pretty, you know, no big deal deals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a great question, and, um, you know, it's something that I've fluctuated back and forth on, and, and like I said, my, you know, my thinking, I feel like, has evolved on this, um, and, and not just, uh, you know, not, not just um, 
to my own benefit uh, being out here in California, but, but uh, legitimately, you know, I've, I think I've come around on this in seeing that, um, you know, there's, there's no, I don't think that there's anything um, dishonest about us wanting to remove the sick and the dying from the battlefield of the war on drugs before we fight to legalize it for everyone. Um, I, you know, I think we can all agree that, that you know, the, the 90-year-old cancer patient who's at the end of their life and is in serious pain and, you know, can't keep down pain pills um, and marijuana is the only thing that, that will help them control their pain, that they should be getting this first. And well, without, without question, they, they should be getting it first. But, you know, first is one thing, you know, first and only is another issue. Now, what, what I, want to, I want to move a little bit uh, uh, along the road here when you said that sure. the incremental approach and I'm, I'm a guy that I'm all, I'm all for repealing drug prohibition across the board. I think that should be our strategy. And you said that, uh, you know, it's not going to be from the political class here that, that makes this a reality for us, regardless of how we believe it should happen. But the, the one thing that, that kind of flies in the face of that, and you mentioned earlier Amsterdam, Portugal, and Mexico, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're more enlightenment on drug policy did not come from the grassroots up. It did not come from any type of medical marijuana uh, posturing. It came from the top down. These governments, <clears throat> excuse me, these governments decided that uh, it was pretty stupid to waste the resources and the lives of those who were caught with uh, small amounts, uh, personal use amounts of drugs. So how how do you square that the way those the way those came into those laws came into effect in those three countries, not uh, not from the ground up, not from a medical scenario, but from a, a the more correct uh, idea that it, you know it's a waste of resources, it's a waste of lives. How do you square them being ahead of us and their strategies uh, with us being behind them, maybe because of our strategy, our incremental approach? How does that work in your head? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that I think that to really honestly answer that, that, I mean, that would be another five-hour discussion about about the state of our of our political system here in the U.S. Well, you know, load the bomb, baby. I'm I got all the time. I I, <laughs> I, I could put another nickel in, in the meter. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's let, let's try the short version. Yeah, please um, give me the short version. Yeah, the, the short version. The short version is, uh, you know, our our country just works, or, or our, our political system works just a whole lot differently than those countries. Um, the the sad fact of the matter is that here, you know, if 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 you get elected to an office in Washington, particularly, you know, the Senate um, and especially the presidency, um, you need a lot of cash to get there. And a lot of the cash comes from a lot of the vested interests that, uh, you know, that, that stand to lose a lot by um, prohibition ending. And, and I don't think you really have that um, to it nearly to the extent that you have it here and, you know, places like Portugal and, and the Netherlands. You don't have these multi-billion dollar um, private prison industry lobbying firms, um, you know, making campaign contributions to, uh, you know, to, to, to uh, folks like Diane Feinstein, you know, the senator from California who, you know, is supposed to be this 
uh, really open-minded, progressive liberal, and yet she is as, you know, anti-drug, law and order, lock them up as they come. And it's because she's been, you know, bought by the prison guard industry. And you can see it, you know, the, all the records are open. You can see the campaign financing, you know. And the, 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 oh, yeah. If, the, if anybody the needs a medical there. marijuana card, it's her. Right. Because the bitch is right. sick, you know? <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I think it has a lot to do with that. You know, I, 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 uh, I do think that, um, at least in this country, because the federal government is so big and so bloated and so corrupt, um, that you really do need uh, change to start locally. And, and you know, getting back to, to something you were saying before, first of all, I mean, you know, I, I know you know this, but, you know, all of your listeners should know that, uh, we both agree that that drug prohibition needs to end. You know, we both agree that that all drugs need to be legalized and regulated. Um, and you know, the the difference, if there is any difference, is sort of in the, in the approach. And when you said earlier that you know the the public supports medical marijuana at about 76 percent, but then it it drops down much lower than that. Um, one thing you know that's that's important to keep in mind is that. The public also supports marijuana decriminalization at about the same rate as they support medical marijuana. Um, it's about, it's between 70 and 80 percent, depending on where you are. Um, and I think why this is important is because what that polling shows us is that people are okay with um, with people buying marijuana if they're sick, and people are okay with people having marijuana. But not buying it, but not getting it, and I and and there's only one thing that you know that that leads me to think, um, and it's this that that you know the difference between the 50% of Americans who support legalization and the 76 to 77 who support decrim is that there's about 25 to 30% there of people who are okay with people using marijuana, but they are scared of what a distribution system would look like. Um, you know, either they think that uh, legalization means drug dealers on the streets just not getting arrested, um, or they think that it, it'll look something like alcohol and tobacco, and they don't like the way that we deal with those drugs in our society to begin with. You know, they don't want their kid going into 7-Eleven um, and now not just walking past the booze and um, the cigarettes, but also the pot. Um, so I think that there's, you know, that that's our swing demographic right there, that 30% who just need to see a responsible distribution system. And I think that that's where the medical marijuana movement um, is, is, you know, is going to play a huge role in that there are um, dispensaries like, uh, for example, Harborside Health Center. Um, and I heard earlier on you were talking about Chris Crane and him moving on uh, from SSDP, and that's actually that's that's where my former boss works now, um, which is one of the the best dispensaries, in my opinion, um, in the state of California. And if if um, you know if if a person that's on the fence with legalizing marijuana could just go inside Harborside and see how clean and how um, healthy and <laughs> healthy and how friendly the staff is there. And also how, you know, responsible of a business it is to the community. You know, they give millions of dollars away to local charities and schools and parks and that kind of thing. Um, so you start to shift 
people's idea of what the distribution system is going to look like. And I think that that's, um, you know, that, that if there is a Trojan horse here um, <laughs> with medical marijuana, um, that's it, is that, you know, pe people, it's going to give people the opportunity to see what um, distribution looks like that doesn't scare them. Um, so that, that's what I've learned kind of well, being let out me, here in California. Let me, let me ask you something that I've asked Ethan Nadelman, Keith Strout, Alan St. Pierre, uh, Rob Campia, to a, to a degree, but let's let's make the assumption. And and on all of these names that I mentioned, all of these fellows in drug policy reform, I like them all. They're very bright. They're hardworking, and you know I salute them every day for the work they do. I don't necessarily have to agree with them, but I do I do salute them for uh, for getting out there and do it. I know it's a, I know it's a, a sacrifice, both time, financially, and emotionally. But I asked each, each one of these guys, they all believe that drug prohibition should be repealed, and that's the end game. That's what we all want. That's what we're working for. Now, they've chosen the incremental approach to, to get to there, but everybody wants that. Now, ASA, you know, they're a little different. I think if, if medical marijuana became the law of the land, they would just close up shop and declare victory because right. I've spoken for those guys, and they said, you know, hey, we don't really, you know, Repealing prohibition would be nice, but we don't really care. This is our issue. But for right. those in drug policy reform who do believe that uh, drug prohibition should be repealed, I ask, I ask this, I make this, this, give you this scenario and ask this question. Let's assume that marijuana does become law of the land, both recreationally and medicinally. It becomes a settled law. My question to all the drug policy reform leaders is, okay, since you believe that we should repeal drug prohibition, what is your next step? What's the next drug that you will champion? Will it be cocaine, LSD, MDMA? Or you put all the drugs in, in one bag and try to get uh, uh, everything repealed. What is, what is the next step in, in drug policy reform? And none of them have been able to answer that question, and a couple of them seemed a little dumbstruck when I asked it because I think they get so so focused on the medical marijuana, even recreational marijuana issue, that they don't know exactly what's going to happen next. So that's my question to them. What is what what's next? You know, what drug will you champion next or will you just go for the for the full Monty and go about uh, you know, advocating for repealing all the rest of the drug prohibitions? And if right. and if so it's a two-part question. If they say, okay, well, we're going to move on, then how do we deal with the prohibitionists who point their fingers at us and say, see, see, we told you so. Marijuana was just a, a Trojan horse to legalization of all drugs. How do we deal with that scenario? Should it, should it come up? And I, I think it will, personally. But what, what are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Heady stuff here, Daniel. Heady stuff. Well, I got some really, I got some really good weed yesterday. <laughs> but seriously, man, I mean, let's let's think about our future. Let's yeah, let's make no, that assumption yeah. that marijuana becomes cool. What are we going to do next? Absolutely, you know that it's. Um, I'm I'm glad you bring this up because uh, you know I I uh, am you know trying to get uh, the movement to have these sorts of um, conversations about what happens. You know, three, four five steps from now um, all the time. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, I suggested, and I'm not sure if this is going to come together, but I suggested 
at the DPA conference that we um, we set aside some time, the, move, the the leaders of the movement, to talk about exactly what you just um, what you just brought up, which is uh, what happens after marijuana. What you know, we, we legalize marijuana, we claim victory on that, and what happens after that? And I I think that you know one thing that that a lot of people um, within the movement are are not thinking about is how the arguments that we use today uh, for the short-term goal of legalizing marijuana can actually hurt us in the long term with uh, legalizing all drugs. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the foremost argument is the, you know, so-called uh, safer argument. Um, because, you know, when you, um, when you say that marijuana should be legalized because it's safer than alcohol, and that's and that's your entire argument. Then ultimately, you're relying on the other person to believe that prohibition has a legitimate role in keeping people safe from dangerous drugs, right? You're you're ultimately saying that, well, you know, marijuana is a safe drug, so it should be legalized, and that you know, and then people infer, oh, okay, well, that's why we legalize drugs because they're safe. Um, well, that doesn't work for the other drugs. <laughs> you know, the, the, <laughs> you, you, you can't say you can't say heroin is safer than alcohol. So let's let's legalize it. In fact, I mean, you know, yeah, that just flies in the that flies in the face of common sense. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so this is important. I think this is an important discussion for the movement to have because if we legalize marijuana and it's part of the national narrative and the memory, um, you know, the, the, the memory of most Americans of, of why we legalize marijuana is because it's safe, then um, it's going to be an uphill battle to try to convince them to legalize anything else because they're going to say, well, well, that's not a safe drug. Um, and so we need to have, I think we need, we need, we need to have a holistic approach with our you know, with our arguments that we use and that, you know, even if you think that marijuana is the most dangerous drug in the world and that it's going to, you know, drive your children mad, um, it's worse to prohibit it because there's, you know, there's no drug known to man that gets safer when you, you know, hand it over to criminals. <laughs> it's it, it, that, <laughs> That that's the point. So I, I, you know, I think I largely agree with you on on this point, um, Daniel. That um, you know that that we're not thinking long term, and uh, and with marijuana, it's just it's sort of this outlier um, among all the drugs because it's just so broadly used. I mean, it's the it, you know it's the most widely used illicit substance, and it it happens to be very safe. Um, you know, it's it's. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have a lot of negative effects. Uh, personally, I'll tell you personally, I, I don't even really like it all that much. Um, like what? But, uh, heroin? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, I, you know, I don't know about heroin. I, I assume I'd probably like it. Well, I, you um, know, I, did, I didn't like it that much. I mean, I, I, of course, this was 30-some-odd years ago when I was in the Army over in West Germany stationed out in the middle of bumfuck Egypt in a nuclear missile site. Um, there were there were a couple of uh, junkies in the in the uh, in the battery that were able to perform and function well and escape the dragnet that was thrown to get all the hardcore druggies out. 
And, I, you know, I snorted it uh, for maybe 60 days, not every day, but, for, you know, two or two and a half months, you know, maybe maybe in the middle of the week, and then on the weekends I'd take a train somewhere. And, I, you know, I didn't find the drug to be all that great. I mean, it's certainly not a social party drug. I mean, six, six junkies in a room is not exactly a, a happening event when half of them are nodding right. out and the other half are, you know, just wow, man. And so it wasn't really a social drug. But anyway, I, I, that was a tangent. I didn't mean to go there, but... Uh, what, what were you saying that you didn't uh, that you didn't like? Oh uh, well, I mean, at this point in my life, I you know I'm not I'm just not a huge fan of cannabis uh, personally. You know, I, I used to like it a lot. Um, had a really great relationship with that drug. Now, um, you know, it's it's not really it's not really for me. Um, I found some strains here and there. Uh, that's the great thing about California, <laughs> and, and the, <laughs> variety you know, is the spice of life out there. Exactly, and and people know, you know, that this this strain will do this for you, and this will do that for you, and and so there have been a few strains that I've found that I like okay, but um, you know, it's it's just sort of uh, it happens to some people. Their metabolism changes, and you know, their early twenties, and then you know, you you just start to like some things that you didn't and dislike things that you don't. Yeah, I mean, nobody has to explain, at least of all you, whether you do drugs or don't do drugs or like drugs or don't like drugs. I think you approach it from a a personal responsibility issue angle and and a personal choice angle. You just want to make sure that people are free to make those choices and, you know, suffer the consequences in a, in a regulated market as opposed to an illegal market. Exactly. Exactly. And, Right. And, you know, the, the reason why I bring that up, you know, my personal experience with cannabis is that, um, you know, I almost kind of wish I liked it more because it is such, uh, you know, such a safe drug. Um, there are other, you know, other drugs out there that I like that have a much um, higher potential for abuse. Uh, Name one. Alcohol, for oh, example. Yeah. example. What, what, what were you saying? I said, I, I said, name one, and you took the safe route and said alcohol. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. Right. Let me shift another gear here, because we're, we're and, and if, you, if you don't mind staying a few extra minutes, this is one thing that I really wanted to talk about, and I'll put another sure. nickel in the, in the wave streaming box here. I want to, most everybody knows uh, about Senator Jim Webb's uh, National Criminal Justice Commission Act of uh, 2009, which is going to be an 18-month study, uh, you know, top to bottom of our criminal justice system, especially as it pertains to to drug policy. And, uh, you know, he's getting some sponsors. It still hasn't been voted on, and it's going to run 18 months. The commission's going to run 18 months. And more than likely, it'll be 24 to 30 months from, you know, starting to talk about it to get it uh, finished and recommendations made. And I think, you know, everybody rightfully so in, in, in drug policy has taken that as a, as a very good sign, whether Webb is Obama's Trojan horse on drug policy or what. But I think everybody in, the, in drug policy reform views the Webb, the Webb bill as a, as a positive. But just, uh, I think it was yesterday, possibly the day before, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, that uh, curmudgeon from Iowa, had put up an amendment uh, to uh, Webb's bill that he, in, in essence, said that uh, you can't talk about it, you can't think about it, you can't say anything about it. And it was basically a, a big fuck you to, to, to Jim Webb. So get, tell me what you think about Webb's potential, uh, if anything at all. 
and uh, what uh, what the Grassley Amendment uh, could possibly do to it may not pass. And then I'd like you to comment on, um, this is a three-parter, we'll make it the last question. And the third part of it is, if, if obviously Barack Obama supports Webb and what he's doing, maybe not be able to say it publicly at this point, but I think he does support it. But it would seem to me that this 24 months, 30 months it's going to take from start to finish, one of the recommendations will be that either decriminalize or legalize marijuana, which has been the same finding from Nixon, Ford, Carter, every Blue Ribbon Commission has said the same thing. So why wouldn't, why can't Obama anticipate that that's going to be the recommendation? And especially since Grassley has put this, you know, odorous amendment up to it, why can't Senator, or why can't President Obama come out and say, you know what, I think Jim Webb has got a good idea here, we're going to support it, and one of the best things I could do to support that is while this criminal justice, uh, while this act is, is being debated, let's take uh, cannabis out of Schedule 1, put it into at least Schedule 2, or end all federal, uh, all federal uh, funding for, uh, for marijuana interdiction because he knows he's going to get it. He knows in his heart, as you said, he gets it. He knows that this, is, this would be a pretty safe, uh, pretty safe statement to, to make. And President Obama is on, on record as saying he will call out his opponents. This was on health care, but he said he will call out any opponent that, uh, that tries to stifle good, sound policy. And the Webb National Criminal Justice Act sounds like a pretty sound policy. So if you follow that train there, the three-parter, let's hear what you have to say. Can you repeat the, the question? <laughs> yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, I can. <laughs> we were talking about, you know. Uh, no, sit- I, I got it. Okay. okay. <laughs> you little sure shit, you. <laughs> um, okay. So, so, well, let's start with Webb. Um, yes. From, from what, I, what I've heard uh, with folks in the movement who have sat down with Senator Webb, um, you know, he, he really gets this issue. He, he understands that. Uh, that our drug policy is at the core of these uh, criminal justice uh, problems, if you want to call them that. That's a, an understatement. Um, and uh, yeah, and he, you know, he does recognize that that is um, a huge part of this equation that needs to be addressed. Um, what's happening right now is that is that he's starting to realize that uh, there's going to be, you know, there's there's uh, a tug of war between the folks uh, on, you know, the good side, uh, the you know, the the folks who care about justice and freedom and and all that, you know, great, uh, great, you know, American stuff that's as good as apple pie, and uh, and there's you know the folks on the other side which make their living off of putting people in cages and um, and there's a tug of war happening right now over this bill in Congress. Um, because, uh, you know, the prison guards and law enforcement know uh, that, that if um, those recommendations are made, uh, like you said, you know, de- decriminalizing marijuana, decriminalizing all drugs, perhaps, um, that that, uh, that could very much jeopardize uh, their future and their career. Um, so what we're seeing is that... Um, yeah, but, but fuck them. <laughs> Yeah, well, fuck them. Uh, I completely agree with you that the problem, the you know, the conundrum that Webb is in is that for this thing to move, he needs sponsors, um, and he needs sponsors on both sides of the aisle. And we're seeing uh, the bill get stripped 
uh, stripped away bit by bit. And the first things they're going uh, are, are is language about drugs. Um, we've already seen that a few uh, a few lines have been taken out of the bill about um, the commission uh, being charged with uh, with finding um, ways of reducing criminalization uh, for drugs, um, and that has been completely taken out. And now the only thing that really has to do with drugs in the entire bill is a small section in the um, examinations. Uh, section of the bill, and that's that's essentially essentially the part of the bill that tells them what they should be looking at. Um, but there's nothing in the findings section, so they can look at drugs and drug decriminalization and legalization all they want, but they're not charged with uh, with formally recommending anything anymore. Um, so so you know we've gone the movement has gone within the past few months from being uh, quite excited about this bill to now thinking, well, is this... Fucked again. You know, yep, <laughs> fucked again, exactly. And, you know, and, and this and this gets back to my, you know, what I was saying about the feds, that, you know, I don't think we're going to see leadership from the feds, but I do, I think I'm still cautiously optimistic that some good will come out of this commission, that um, at least if it's being talked about, um, the great thing about, you know, the, the era in which we live is that um, you know, you can take something, you can take a quote, um, like Senator Grassley's thing. I mean, this, this uh, amendment that, that you just brought up was a flash in the pan. It was, you know, he introduced it and then he took it away in a span of like one or two days. Um, but it, you know, it hit the Internet, it went out on social networks, it went out on Dig, it went out into the, you know, and then because of that echo chamber online, you know, the news picked up on it and, so little things can, you know, can hit a tipping point much quicker um, these days. So I, so, so I think for that reason, um, I'm optimistic about this because even if, you know, even if their recommendations suck and they don't say anything about drugs and the recommendations and they completely ignore the issue, even, you know, if during the deliberations, uh, you know, they bring up Jack Cole from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and he talks about this stuff, or, you know, yeah, he somebody was just, else. He was just on with Judge Napolitano on Fox. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, great. Fox, great. Jesus, fuck, Fox. Right. You know, Obama, right. Obama's got his balls in a, in a, in a locked box somewhere on the drug issue, and here's people on Fox, Judge Napolitano, who is absolutely never be uh, confused with the liberal. This guy's up there saying, you know, smarter shit than half the people, well, not smarter shit, but at least more openly saying things than half the, the people in drug policy reform. I mean, hello, Fox fucking news. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's, Where that's, is that's Obama? Are changing. <clears throat> it's, you know, it's, it, I'm not, first of all, I'm not making excuses for Obama. If, if he's a strong leader and he's going to bring this country hope and change like he said then then you're absolutely right you know he should at least be de, de, uh, you know, uh, bringing marijuana down on the schedule you know uh, rescheduling marijuana and um, you know and and he should be providing some leadership on the broader issue of, of drug prohibition um, but I think what we also need to recognize is that there's this uh, decades-long um, uh, you know, uh, fear um, of politicians that if they, you know, look soft on drugs, then, you know, then that's going to come back and bite them 
Yeah, but I think that's I think that's a dodge anymore. I mean, the politicians have been shown all of these statistics. They've been shown the Zogby polls. I think it's just a dodge now for them to say, well, in in private, well, I think this thing is full of shit. But nobody out there, none of my none of my constituents think this is a good idea. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. But you know, I think that I don't think that dodge has any credibility anymore. I mean, it may have had 15, 20 years ago. But now, I mean, Jesus Christ, they got to live well, in a cave see? not to know that what's going on. Yeah, well, I mean, to, to play devil's advocate, do we see Zogby polls saying that the public supports drug legalization? I, I haven't seen that poll. No, the poll, um, the poll was specific. You know, do you think the do you think the drug war is winning or or we're losing or winning the drug war? Seventy six percent said the drug war has failed. I mean, exactly, that's, and and then and so you have so. Uh, you have President Obama when he was running for uh, Senate in Illinois saying that the war on drugs is a complete and utter failure. Um, and then you have his drug czar saying that, you know, we're not, we're not going to be using that terminology anymore. So I think that they are putting their fingers to the wind and they're saying, okay, well, war on drugs is unpopular. We need to at least stop using that language. Well, it's hard um, to know which way the wind's blowing when your head's up your ass. <laughs> Zing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, um, but, but I mean, you, you know, know what I'm getting at. But I think you know, if, if if me and you and this radio show and SOCP and everybody else involved in this movement can get those polling numbers up on drug legalization, and we can get those to be 75 percent, not just saying that the war on drugs is a failure, but saying no, we want something different. We well, we're not gonna, we're not going to get that, and the reason that we're not going to get that is because that's not we not what we have been agitating for in the past 15 to 20 years. This movement began with the incremental uh, approach, and the, they chose to exemplify that through medical marijuana. So I think a lot of these drug policy reform leaders have painted themselves into a corner. Um, I think had they come out, I mean, it's hard to speculate what would have happened back in the mid-'90s if, as opposed to just medical marijuana, we'd have gone for, you know, m- marijuana for everyone type of a type of an approach. Uh, I, I, I think that we made a fundamental mistake early on in, uh, in sitting down for our strategy using uh, the compassion angle for uh, those who are sick among us that would benefit from cannabis. And I am absolutely all for medical marijuana. I was at the 2006 uh, Normal Convention and it was highlighting uh, medical marijuana patients. And I met dozens and dozens of them. And I know in my heart that it is absolutely uh, beneficial. But I, I also kind of know in my heart that it might have been the wrong way to get this, this ball rolling. It's been 14 years. We've got 13 states. Um, you know, 750,000 young Americans will be arrested for the simple possession of marijuana this year. I, I, I just... Uh, this this is why I'm not in the, the why I don't work with drug policy reform leaders because I just see this immense frustration. I came from the business world where you you went out there. This is what you want. Boom! Let's go out and get it. You either win or you fail. And uh, I'm I'm just concerned that uh, we 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 have painted ourselves in into a corner here. And uh, as you mentioned, four or five years down the road, when we when we make these inroads and get marijuana taken care of. We may be at the end of the road, and then nothing is really going to change. Yeah, I'll be able to smoke pot, but the drugs, the violence, the corruption, 
all of that's not going to change, and there's a good argument that it could be escalated if all this, uh, if, if the drug cartels are actually getting as much money for marijuana as we say. I don't believe so. But whatever revenues they lose uh, in marijuana legalization, they're going to want to replace those revenues. So they're going to step up their activity in these other drugs. So the violence could escalate. The crime could escalate. And then we're in a position where they're going to say, hey, you guys in, in the marijuana industry told us that if we legalized marijuana, you know, a lot of this violence would go away. We'd make money and things would be great. And the exact opposite has happened. So there's a strong possibility that the prohibitionists who are not going to go silently into the night on this issue, there's a strong possibility that they will say, look, you guys were wrong. The violence has gone up. We haven't really changed the equation. So why shouldn't we revisit the idea of keeping all drugs illegal and, and recriminalizing marijuana? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I agree on some uh, parts of what you're saying and, and disagree on others, you know, and I, I, th I think that that's, uh, it's good for us to engage in this um, because, it, you know, it tests my, my thinking on this. But I, I, I think that, you know, um, one thing we should all do is uh, keep our eye on California um, next year because it will be on the ballot to legalize marijuana and, and uh, you know, who knows? Uh, we, we don't know if it's going to pass or not. The, you know, the polling is very close right now. Um, but if it does pass, uh, you, you know, I, I think you just brought up a lot of great points that if, if it's not well regulated um, and there's a good case to be made that, you know, this particular initiative, um, you know, may not effectively regulate marijuana and it could actually make uh, the situation worse, we, you know, we could, we could be dealing with sort of a swing of the pendulum back in the other direction. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, I, you know, if, if, if you have the plan to legalize drugs within uh, five years, I've been waiting for it, Dan, so. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I've got a plan. <laughs> I've got a plan. But you know what, the, the, the thing that, uh, that disappointed me, I mean, I've, I've been disappointed with Barack Obama on a number of levels, but obviously the drug policy reform issue is where, where I have my greatest disappointment. I mean, the man is on record as saying it's a complete and utter failure. He smoked pot and inhaled because that was the point, snorted coke. I mean, these are things in his book, but the thing that kind of, you know, made me a little more upset was in, in the language that he used in his book. I mean, he tried to get some street cred by saying, by talking in the vernacular when he talked about, you know, smoking pot and snorting coke, but he said, I never did any smack. I mean, <laughs> well, good for you. But it seemed like he was ingratiating yeah. himself to our community by speaking our lingo and, and giving us code, overt code that, that he was, that he was be, uh, behind us. And I, and I think he's just pussing out. And if anything is going to happen, I don't think we're going to get a, a more progressive or a more uh, I, I get it type of uh, president if, if Barack Obama does get a second term. And there's some, there's some you know, rumblings that that may not happen. Uh, this could be literally our, 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 our last chance for a long time. And, and I draw the parallel to the, the gay and lesbian, transgender, uh, bisexual market out there. And they are, they are furious uh, with, with uh, President Obama, even after he came and spoke to them and, and the like. And they, they seem to get more press than we do because rather than way to go, Barack, we love you. You know, we know you're working for us. We know you can't do everything all at once. They're saying, you know, fuck you, man, do some more. And they're getting the attention that the drug policy people are not. Barack Obama's not going to be in New Mexico next week talking to you guys, is he? 
No, he is not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should all be a little queer for a day. Yeah, maybe maybe we should. Well, that's, you know, uh, I do live in San Francisco, so (laughs) there's a a place to be queer for a day uh, or a week or... Or your whole life, you know. But but I'm saying that it seems to be that the, the gay rights activists uh, and 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 gay right gay rights activism and drug policy reform activism they both about forty years old. I mean, if you right. look back to the beginning of them both, and here we are forty years later, and I think Barack Obama is giving, you know, drug policy reform groups this, the same verbal blowjob that George Bush gave the religious right. You know, mm-hmm. we'll take your money, we'll take your votes, and then you know, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think. Um uh, I'm a. Do you play chess? Yes. Great. Not very well, but. <laughs> All right. Well, next time I see you, we'll have to play. Um, well, because... I'm coming out. I'm going to come out there because I want. I want to have a best friend with a medical marijuana card. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, come out anytime. Um, but, but I hear the know, pri- I hear the prices aren't any better than street. No, they're not. Uh, well, that's uh, that. That's the 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 problem with the gray market and that there's, you know, there's still a huge uh, black market. So if, you know, if any of the dispensaries are selling for half the street costs, then all their, all their patients are just going to, you know, to buy and then sell back on the street. Right. People are, people are, uh, are, you know, well, let me, let me, let me ask you, what do you think should be a fair price for, I mean, I don't want to say an ounce because most people in the in a regulated market won't buy an ounce at a time. If they can go to the store every other day and get their purple and their cush and all that, they're not going to stock up and buy quantity. So the transactional aspect will be smaller. But what do you think a, a fair price for for an ounce of pot should be? You know, Jeez, take, I don't know. You know, you should you should get uh, economist Jeffrey Myron on on your show and ask him that. Uh, you know, like I said, I I'm not much of a consumer. I haven't bought cannabis and yeah but you're you're a very you're a very aware man you know what what prices are out there and and the like and they're so they're very artificially high i did a little experiment i took a pack of cigarettes and my my position is growing marijuana in a a regulated marketplace really is not that more expensive if if as expensive as growing tobacco tobacco is not something you just plant in the backyard and grind it up and make cigarettes or cigars it's you know it's it's kind of labor intensive so you can buy here in Florida, you can buy a pack of cigarettes, uh, hundreds, you know, the longer ones, at retail at $3.50 at retail. So everybody's getting their cut. I mean, it's not a loss leader. The taxes are being collected. So I, t- I took the tobacco out of a pack of cigarettes, and it was 20 and a half grams of tobacco. That's not counting. I mean, that no paper, no filters, no nothing, just, just tobacco. 20 and a half grams a profitable product at $3.50. They're talking about, in California and some of those other places, they're putting like a $50 an ounce tax on, on pot. Uh, if, if you can sell 20 and a half grams of tobacco at a profit for $3.50, I can't imagine pot should be that much more expensive. I know that there'll be you know, kind of a whack tax, but $50 an ounce I think is unsustainable and it'll just drive mm-hmm. the, the market underground. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, when you're talking the, the $50 an ounce uh, tax, that was Tom Amiano's, uh, you know, bill in the, right. in the state house, which really isn't going anywhere. Um, I think that, you know, for we're, if we're going to legalize marijuana out here, it's going to be by, uh, you know, by ballot initiative process. But, you know, he just kind of 
threw that together and uh and you know once it was introduced a lot of people just like yourself said hey hey wait a second this this doesn't make much sense so uh, i don't know if he's fixed that in the bill or if there's you know if there's going to be a new version of the bill next year but i know that he's admitted that you know that that sort of uh, that that tax scheme doesn't work very well. Yeah, it's like it's um, like they you know okay you know we're done chasing you down like dogs like we've been doing for the past forty years. We're going to let you, we're going to legalize pot for it, but then we're going to beat you around the fucking head on the on the tax structure. It's like <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> yeah. Are, are you also, happy now? Are you happy now, stoners? You know what the fuck? Right. And like that, you know, the same thing happens with cigarettes where, you know, you raise the taxes and then there's more black market right. um, tobacco. So there's that kind of like middle ground of, of uh, taxation that's not going to create, um, you know, a huge, uh, a huge gray market. But, you know, I, well, I guess to, I know we're running toward the end of this, but to, to close this out, um, getting back to my question about chess. Uh, the, you know, the reason why I, I ask that is because, um, you know, we've talked a lot on this call or on this radio show about um, Obama and Gil Kurlikowski and the White House um, being one of the best chances that we have. Uh, but, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, if you're a chess player, you know that sometimes you can kind of on the king to your detriment, you know, and, and that if, if, if you're just looking at the other person's king, um, then you can be missing all of the other stuff on the board. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's important to look at what else is going on and, and look at this as, as uh, you know, a, a holistic strategy of, of many different parts. And every organization is playing, you know, a, a vital role. You know, uh, uh, SSDP is, um, is the bishop, you know, we're the... It, we're the student activists that can cut right in there and, um, you know, and generate hundreds of thousands of phone calls to Congress, you know, in a few weeks. Um, and then you have, you know, MPP and you have LEAP, you know, and, and LEAP, I think, is, is kind of our queen, you know, and, and that, it, you know, LEAP is, is the organization, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, that can really speak credibly about ending drug, pro- drug prohibition and, uh, you know, and, and like you saw on Fox News, um, you know, they're, they're, they're taken so seriously. And I think that the queen on the other side of this, um, on, on the other side of this fight is marijuana prohibition right now. And, and uh, we got her boxed into her corner. And I, I think that uh, if we lose sight of that, you know, we could lose our best chance at get, getting rid of one of their most powerful pieces in the game. And I think once we get rid of that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be in a much better position to, you know, for the rest of the fight. So, you know, I, I, I get your frustration. I, I often, when I'm playing chess, just want to, you know, stop the game and, you know, tip over the other guy's king. But, you know, there's a strategy. And I think that, 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 you know, we're, we're getting closer and, uh, and the pieces are in place. Um, and, you know, we sh- we shall see. So. Well, use, using your your chess analogy, and I and I think it's a very good one. But um, I, I I hate to lose sight of all the pawns out there, and it seems like the the recreational user of of, of drugs uh, are the pawns in this game, and mm-hmm. uh, there's only so many of them on the chessboard, and uh, we need we need a little protection too. We may be the first ones over the hill. The old story: the first soldier over the hill gets the shot, and. Right. Uh, 
you know, maybe we're 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 in that uh, in that position. But just one 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 quick thing, I I really appreciate you staying this long, and I keep sticking nickels in the wave streaming box here. But uh, quickly quickly tell us uh, what uh, what you think is going to happen, and what you're looking forward to at the drug policy conference in New Mexico. Give us a couple of minutes on that, and then I'll let you go. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's um, drug policy conferences are my favorite holiday. You know, they're, they're above <laughs> they're above uh, Christmas. And, yeah, fuck and Christmas, man. What was that? I said, fuck Christmas. Let's go to a drug there, policy yeah, conference, exactly. baby. <laughs> uh, even Halloween, you know, and that's that's one of my favorites. But no, I mean, drug policy conferences are. Uh, just the you know the best thing um, in the world because you you get people um, uh, together like me and you who uh, fundamentally you know believe that uh, not just believe in ending the war on drugs but believe that we are going to be a part of it and that um, that we're going to be the ones to do it and it's really easy to lose sight of that you know I've been involved in this for uh, more than seven years now going on eight years. Um, and, uh, you know, and every year, uh, these conferences re-energize me because I remember, you know, that I'm not in it alone and it grows every year. Every conference gets larger and larger. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm just excited to, to kind of get that, that feeling again. I, you know, I don't think I'll see too many, uh, too many panels that I haven't seen before, too many speakers that I haven't seen talk a million times, uh, you know, so... I'm not so excited about the programming aspects. Um, there are a few panels that I'll be on there. So if you're at the conference... Uh, which which you know, panels are you going to be on, Micah? Uh, I'll be on a, a panel called um, Open Source Advocacy. Uh, and it's about, uh, it's about technology and the drug policy reform movement. Um, so I'll be talking about kind of how SSDP uses and harnesses new technologies um, to, you know, connect and recruit and do all of the things that we do. Um, and then we'll also be talking about the intersections between the movements for uh, open source uh, computer software and the drug policy reform movement and how both movements are essentially both based on the core belief that, that uh, or the, the core belief in cognitive liberty, you know, that, that uh, that the government should not tell you what you can and cannot think or what kind of code you can and cannot have, you know, on, on your computer. And I think that as we move forward um, and the line kind of gets blurred between drugs and technology, uh, which I think will happen, you know, within the next few decades. I know they're already developing uh, uh, electronic drugs now that, that uh, you know, specifically go into your brain and activate uh, you know, synapses and that kind of thing. And I think we're getting to, you know, to a future where there's going to be, that line is going to be blurred and drugs aren't just going to be that, you know, that pill or that plant that you ingest and then you metabolize, um, but that it's going to be a lot broader than that. It's going to be about, um, you know, about consciousness. Um, so we're going to be going through those issues uh, and talking about that. And then uh, there's another panel that, uh, other SSDP staffers will be on um, talking about our campus change campaign and how SSDP members are uh, working on changing punitive drug policies on their college camp- campuses. 
So, well, that's great. Um, I, I, I know you're going to do well, and uh, I'm, my money's on you to talk to Ethan and some of the other uh, big wigs <laughs> about the, the future of drug policy, and let's make sure that there's a uh, that we're not painting ourselves into a corner. So, sure. Well, you know, I think those conversations are happening all the time, and uh, and you know, it's it's. I think that. It's healthy for the movement to have gadflies like yourself on the corner. So. <laughs> I'm a gadfly now? <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> biting us on the ass and saying, hey, uh, you know, watch out for the pawns. So, yeah, you know, keep it up. It's, so. Well, uh, uh, you know, I'm doing my best, and, uh, and I know you're doing uh, your best. And like I said, I have great respect for everybody in drug policy, even if I don't uh, completely agree with them. And I'm hoping that uh, not this is not directed to you, but I'm hoping that those people in drug policy reform have the same uh, level of respect for me, even though they don't uh, agree with what I say. So, sure. um, Micah, I want to tell you, man, you, this is the longest interview I've done. I, I, I think by listening to you, you weren't trying to get away from it. You enjoyed it as well. And I want to thank you for taking the time to, to talk to our listeners and give everybody the uh, ability to download this out of archives and uh, just really great from a personal standpoint to speak with you again and uh, you, you and everybody at SSDP I've got a warm spot in my heart for so again I just want to thank you for for taking the time and uh, you're a good man yeah, likewise uh, and it's always good to talk to you um, let's let's catch up uh, not on the radio um, sometimes. <laughs> You've had enough of that shit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, it's, it's been really good uh, talking with your listeners out there. And, um, you know, if, if anybody who is listening is a student, of course, uh, please visit our website. It's uh, schoolsnotprisons.com. Uh, get involved. We have uh, about 200 chapters across the country, and that's growing just exponentially right now. So we'd love to have you involved. And uh, in March, uh, on March 12th, 12th, 12th through the 14th, uh, we're having our uh, SSDP International Conference in San Francisco. So You got any I, room for gadflies? <laughs> always, always room for gadflies. <laughs> okay. Hey, Micah Daigle, thank you very much. Executive Director, SSDP, you're a good man, and uh, thanks again. All right, thank you. All Take right, care. good night. Good night. Wow, Michael Daigle, Daigle, Micah Daigle, excuse me there, I stumbled on that last name, Executive Director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. A smart young man, very dedicated and uh, very much interested in, uh, in changing the insanity that surrounds drug policy in the United States. Well, if you're still with me at, in an hour and a half, I am, I'm, I'm humbled and pleased, and I'm going to have to... Uh, to beg out of the uh, Cops on Drugs segment tonight. And if you've been hanging with me just to hear that, then uh, send me an email and tell me I'm an asshole. But I'm running past my allotted time here on the Wave streaming machine. I've been sticking nickels in it uh, ever since 10 o'clock. So, uh, again, I want to thank everybody for, uh, for tuning in tonight. I'm uh, hoping that you had a... Uh, a good time listening to Micah and I speak about uh, the current state of, of drug policy reform and what is on the horizon for us as well. So like I do uh, every Thursday night, I want to stop, I want to end the uh, the show with, with the Opium Den motto, 
And that motto is, when good people obey bad law, bad law never changes. Good night.